Luke's God. So if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles or in, on your phones or your pads, it'll be on the screen as well. Luke 1, from reading from verse 26 and uh, through to 45. Is that okay? Um, I don't know if you, you all know this, so it's just a reminder. Luke is the odd one out in the New Testament. You know that, don't you? He's the only New Testament writer who is not a Jew. You knew that. Paul was obviously a Roman citizen, but a Jewish rabbi. John and Matthew and Mark and Peter and James and Jude, all Jews. We don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but one thing we do know, they were a Jew. So Luke comes from a pagan background, a Gentile background. Comes from the pagan city of Antioch in Syria. We're not quite sure when he came to faith in Jesus, but we know it was very early on in the life of the church. We know that he accompanied Paul as his friend and companion On many of those missionary journeys, we know he was a doctor, qualified doctor, physician, historian. Scholars, uh, when they read, as maybe one of you too, read it in the Greek, the New Testament, it's the best Greek in the New Testament, regarded as the best Greek. He wrote two books, the Gospel and then the sequel, Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel, after careful research, speaking with eyewitnesses, and then acts as he went with Paul. And a story of the early church from Pentecost to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And both of his works are addressed to the most excellent Theophilus. We don't exactly know who Theophilus was. Uh, The word means friend of God, lover of God. We don't know Uh, exactly who this is, whether it was just one person. Some people believe he was possibly a judge uh, because of the title, Most Excellent, if when Luke refers to the Most Excellent Felix and Agrippa in in the story of Paul, he was uh, a judge. Some have even said it possibly a judge presiding over Paul's trial in Rome, but we we don't know. But we're going to read um, Luke's account, The Birth of Jesus Foretold. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom Will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Should we just pray? Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. Thank you for this amazing, amazing story that we have written down for us. The account of how Mary conceived. And we pray as we look at this passage that you will encourage our hearts once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a judge like Theophilus, if he was a judge, must have heard some tall stories in his time. But I guess in all the years, he cannot have heard a more impossible claim than the one in Luke chapter 1. A virgin has given birth to a baby. None of you are surprised by that thing. It's astounding. It's impossible. How can it be? It would sell newspapers. Ask any tabloid newspaper editor what sort of stories sell newspapers. They would say scandal, sex, royalty. So, you know. Throw a bit of religion in there, makes it even better. Pop stars love child, that's good. Sell a few papers. Princess's secret affair, even better. Royal secret night with none. <laughs> Dare to think what the tabloids would have made of Luke chapter 1. Virgin gives birth to royal baby. story of a virgin birth, angels, there's scandal, and there's a promised king. Now, many people struggle with the concept of a virgin birth. They do. Many Christians struggle with it. Some describe it as a bit of, bit of mythologizing. The trouble of Going down that line is when you take out all the miraculous from the New Testament. There isn't much left. So we're going to just look briefly at what Luke says happened. And what made him believe 
that that had happened? What made Luke risk his credibility at the very beginning of his gospel that he's writing to Theophilus? He's going to set out the story of Jesus. He's risking his credibility in chapter one with this amazing claim. And he asked Theophilus to believe the impossible. And he asks us to. Firstly, we have to note that Luke was a historian. He had spent time researching, carefully investigating the story of Jesus. That's why he writes his gospel. He has been hearing from those who were around Jesus at the time. He has been researching. And he knows that we will all find it difficult to believe what he has said happened. So he just sets it in context. He roots it in history. In a place with a name. Not like the Greek or the Roman myths where gods did this and gods did that. And there's no history to it at all. There's no evidence, no basis whatsoever. Luke roots it all. He begins his story with another conception, Mary's cousin Elizabeth. You have to go back in chapter one if you want to read that. And it's a great account of how the angel Gabriel appears to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, in the temple. Elizabeth and Zechariah were very old. Elizabeth was barren, couldn't have children. And while Zechariah was in the temple serving as a priest, he has an encounter With the divine, he has an encounter with the angel Gabriel. The angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child. They're going to have a son in their old age. And they're to call him John. And we know him as John the Baptist. And he'll have a special role to play in God's amazing plan of salvation for the whole world. He will prepare the way for the Lord, the Saviour. Zechariah, for a priest, doesn't have a lot of faith for this. And foolishly, but understandably, questions the angel Gabriel. Not just with bewilderment, but, you know, takes it a little bit too far because the angel Gabriel gets a bit miffed. You do not mess with the angel Gabriel. So the angel Gabriel announces himself... As I stand in the presence of God, his name means God's warrior. And you, Zechariah, will not be able to speak until the baby's born. And Luke pinpoints the place, Nazareth, small town in Galilee. Nazareth then would have been very tiny, close-knit community. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's business in Nazareth. It's not like some metropolis you could keep something a secret. Everybody knew. He tells us the virgin's name. She is called Mary. And she's engaged to be married to a man called Joseph, who is a descendant of David. Luke roots it in history. 
His research has led him to believe that the impossible really happened. He dates the birth of Jesus by reference to contemporary history in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, about the census and about Quirinius. And we can argue about the date, but between 4 and 6 BC, they reckon. I know that sounds strange, but that's the way it is. Because the dates weren't calculated until the 6th century. So to get within a few years is pretty good. Luke is also a doctor. He's a physician, a scientist. Matthew mentions the account of the virgin birth. In his gospel, Matthew, you remember, he was a former tax collector, worked for the Romans, met Jesus. His life was turned around. Jewish man writes the gospel. It's a Jewish gospel. He's always referring to Jesus fulfilled what was said in the Old Testament. And he tells the same story, but from Joseph's point of view. Luke, maybe because he's a doctor, instinctively approaches childbirth from the woman's point of view. We don't know if he ever spoke to Mary or those who knew her well. But his reference to conception and delivery in verse 31 revealed that he's no primitive fool. Luke is very aware what he's saying is medically impossible. Ancients may not have known about X and Y chromosomes and things like that, but they knew how babies were conceived. And he attests to the truth. That Mary was a virgin and her baby was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Third reason, Luke was a Gentile, non-Jew. Now, he would have been schooled probably in the Old Testament scriptures, although unlike Matthew, he doesn't quote them verbatim. And it wouldn't probably mean a lot to Theophilus anyway to start quoting from the Old Testament But he clearly has these prophecies in mind. The angel's words echo the promise that God was doing something amazing. Isaiah, we began with that prophecy from Isaiah at the beginning of our gathering together. Written 700 years before Jesus was born, a virgin will give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this son would be a universal king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He will reign on David's throne forever. His kingdom will never end. That too, if you think about it, is is humanly impossible. He will reign forever and ever over his kingdom. It could only be a miracle. Isaiah the prophet declares that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Another reason Luke says this as a scientist. A scientist who has come to believe in something bigger than just what he can prove. He's come to believe in something bigger that God has done. We might expect for a scientist 
to play down the supernatural in his gospel. The, the opposite is true. If you read through Luke's account of his gospel, he speaks of angels and demons. He tells the stories of Jesus healing the leper and the lame and the blind and the sick and the demon possessed. He tells the story how Jesus rose Two people from the dead, a widow's son and Jairus' daughter on two separate occasions. He talks about the miracles that Jesus did in calming the storm and feeding the 5,000. And he declares that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified. Luke explains that Mary conceived through God's power because he knows that salvation starts with God. And he describes what Mary says, uh, what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. You have found favor with God. The Lord is with you. Mary, this young girl, this young virgin girl has been chosen by God for this gigantic, unprecedented, unrepeatable task. Of bearing Jesus, God, the son. And he is named from heaven. Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. And his kingdom will never end. The virgin birth is the fulfillment not of only Isaiah's prophecy, but of God's ancient prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve, that God would save the world through the offspring of a woman. Not Adam's seed, you'll notice in Genesis, but Eve's seed. Saviour will be born of a virgin. Luke also records Mary's obvious question. Unlike Zechariah, Zechariah was a bit stroppy. Mary just asks, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. This isn't incredulous unbelief like Zechariah in the temple. It's just honest bewilderment in the face of the impossible and Gabriel explains the same Holy Spirit who was there at the beginning of creation, hovering over the waters, bringing life to this world. The same Holy Spirit who breathed life into humanity will cause the conception in her womb of a baby. The Holy Spirit who was there at the beginning, that creative miracle, he does again. In the body of this young girl. And her child will be the incarnate son of God the father. And Mary. It says. Went. To see Elizabeth. She hasn't told anybody yet. But she goes to see Elizabeth because the angel says Elizabeth's pregnant. And that was a miracle in itself. Different kind of miracle, but a miracle in itself. And as soon as she arrives at Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth's baby jumps in her womb. Mary hasn't announced anything yet. Elizabeth's baby leaps in her wombs. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and knows 
what has happened to Mary. And believes. And Mary will stay with Elizabeth for three months. And then she'll return to Nazareth. And it won't be a secret anymore. And there will be scandal. And there will be those who said she's been sleeping around. How else can you explain that Mary is pregnant? Joseph, he has trouble believing that till an angel meets with him. You can read about it in Matthew's gospel. But Mary submits humbly to God's plan. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Luke invites Theophilus, he invites us as we read his gospel to respond to God with the same humble faith as Mary. To believe that God became man. To believe that he was begotten of the Holy Spirit. To believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, died for you and me and for the whole of mankind on a cross and to believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day overcoming the power of sin and the power of death and is coming again to recreate heaven and earth and one day everyone will stand before him and he will judge heaven and earth and so for Luke it is a small thing now to believe that Mary was a virgin Because if you think of the alternative, if she was not a virgin and uh, Jesus was conceived from another bloke from Nazareth. Or Joseph, maybe. He cannot be who he says he is. Why do we believe in the virgin birth? We believe in the virgin birth because we believe that Jesus is divine. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We believe that he died on the cross. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe that he's coming again. That's our faith. That's our creed. So it is a small thing to believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of a virgin. And so we come, if we can, in faith. Because it is a revelation of faith to agree with Luke that God is amazing. And he loves us so much. And with God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So this Christmas, I invite you to reread the stories, to wonder yet again at the amazing, extravagant, sacrificial love of God as he works his purpose out in our world. And to be confident in our faith. 
And to not be ashamed of Jesus. But to be so proud of him. And so proud that he's called us to follow him. Called us to be part of his amazing kingdom. Let's celebrate that this Christmas. Amen? Let's pray together. And ask the band to come back if they would.